Welcome to the Commission Client Podcast. These are the real and raw stories of people that use their health success and struggles to better lead and serve others. If your goal of getting healthy is to have a static achievement, you will always come up short. Instead, find purpose in your health gains and be commissioned to better serve your purpose. I'm your guide and host, Dr. Kurt Perkins, introducing you to the real heroes in healthcare, the people just like you. Thanks for listening. And so with us today, we have Russ on the Commission Client Podcast. Um, I don't know. I think he has an interesting story. I like hanging out with him. So <laughs> if you want to share it all, kind of your journey, you went from military and athlete to now health advocate where you're not in the health realm, but probably the people around you consider you unofficial Dr. Russ with <laughs> nutritional advice and performance enhancement and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so I got out of the Army in 2000, and I was 27 years old. Uh, I've been you know, a weightlifter, powerlifter, uh, somewhat of an athlete, probably since I was 15 years old. So I've always been, I've always had an interest in nutrition and mostly on a performance standpoint. Um, so I've always been in what I consider pretty good health and shape. But um, when I got out of the Army in 2000, I wanted to get into a construction trade. That was, that was my goal, was to learn a trade and uh, eventually have my own business and go that route. Um, I had done law enforcement in the military, and I didn't want to have anything to do with that anymore. So uh, plumbing happened to be the trade that I got into, and um, I learned that in about three years and uh, got my master's license and started my own business in 2003. And uh, so doing that, plumbing and construction was pretty pretty rugged work and strenuous work, so it kept me in good shape. Um, I was a new father. Uh, My wife got pregnant with our son in in 2000 as well, so that was new for me and uh, just you know, working construction, learning the trade, uh, kept me in shape. And then I started my own business, 2003, and I did most of the work with that myself for the first three years, and that kept me in shape too. And I would still occasionally, you know, do some, you know, running and uh, elliptical stuff, and uh, just to try to stay in shape even more. I didn't do any weightlifting or anything like that. Um, and then after a few years of doing that, it got to the point where I hired employees and I spent a lot of my time working at the desk and just looking at jobs and not being as active. I was still hunting and, and doing stuff like that. But uh, 2010, a new Gold's Gym opened up close to my shop and I thought this is the opportunity to get back into working out again consistently and so about 2010 um, started working out again and of course I would go early in the morning as the best time to be left alone Uh, and then the rest of the day could kind of fall apart or however it needed to happen and uh, still had kids playing sports and in school so I needed to be there for them in the afternoons as well so first thing in the morning get my workout in and of course, it was, uh, you know, weight training again, and it felt good, and 
Uh, when I got out of the Army, I weighed 240 pounds. Um, by 2010, I was up to about 290 pounds and hadn't really been working out, um, didn't have the best diet. And we ate a lot of uh, restaurant food and processed food like everyone does nowadays. Um, and it just slowly kind of caught up with me, but I was about 290 pounds when I started lifting weights again. And uh, I immediately shot up to 295, um, which was normal for me. You know, I had five pounds of muscle or something. It, my body usually responds pretty quick to that stuff. And then um, I stayed there for about four months, which was normal. My composition started to change um, just like I was used to, you know, lean muscle coming on and, and uh, burning off the fat and uh, things were going good. And uh, I thought, you know, being in my 30s, I'm not going to lift heavy. I don't feel like bench pressing 400 pounds anymore and squatting and stuff. I'm just going to work out. And... But time went on, and uh, the aches and pains didn't quite come back as fast. And so I started lifting heavier again and kind of got the bug to start powerlifting again. And also I wanted to see just how big I could get. Uh, you know, being in the military, I had to keep my weight under control, um, which I, you know, usually it's about, you know, I had 14% body fat, but it was about 220 to 230 pounds. But in the military, that's still considered overweight and, and uh, big. Right. So, <laughs> Especially the BMI um, scale. Yeah, so I didn't really have, I just had never had the opportunity because I went in the military at 17 and, um, you know, always stayed around 220, 230, which was a comfortable weight for me, and I was strong at that weight. But I thought, well, now let's just see what happens. So I just lifted heavy and ate a lot, almost, you know, the seafood diet, <laughs> everything I could think of. And I immediately uh, went up to about 315 and um, stayed there for a while, continued to power lift, um, started doing some, some meets again um, and competing. And my strength did go up, but not as much as I had expected. And, uh, you know, I was eating, you know, I'd made sure I, I ate five or six times a day. So I would pack my food in usually my breakfast, so right after my workout, you know, I was eating, I was having a big protein shake before my workout, uh, which is something I had never done in the past. I usually worked out on an empty stomach. I always felt I did better that way, but trying to get bigger and follow some of what the new guys were doing and the new fads, I would start my day off with a big protein shake before my workout and throw in some extra fat and maybe a couple raw eggs in there and, uh, go work out and then immediately after the workout I'd have my breakfast of uh, eggs and some kind of meat and probably potatoes at the time as well um, and then uh, maybe a snack and then lunchtime <laughs> I'd usually schedule a lunch with a friend of mine or something and we would hit a buffet and feed our faces there and then I'd have another snack or something in the afternoon and then nighttime eat I was getting probably about five or six thousand calories a day um, trying to get over 300 grams of protein and and so I did gain weight 
And by 2012, the heaviest I ever was was 350 pounds. Wow. And I was getting ready for another, another meet. And just about two weeks before, um, I hurt my back or hamstring again, one of the two on a, on a heavy squat, you know, you know, and, um, at that point I realized it's just the weight, it's too much weight. Um, you know, I'm 350 pounds and I'm going to be 40 years old and it was fairly easy to get to 350 pounds. I could see myself being 400 and I don't really feel that much stronger than I was when I was younger and, you know, able to lift almost as much. The leverages were different. So at that point, I thought, you know what, it's time, that's it, I'm done, it's time to lose the weight. Um, I'd been following Mark Bell for a while, who had kind of done the same thing. He'd went up to 330 pounds, and, um, but he, he had started cutting weight, and he was using a, the, a ketogenic, a version of the ketogenic diet. And so I researched that and thought, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to use. This makes sense to me. I could do this. I can eat, you know, meat and fat, and I can cut the carbs out. And, uh, and, and. And at this time, I had sleep apnea was terrible. Um, I would, I didn't sleep well through the night. I would get up, you know, sometimes three times in the night to go to the bathroom, um, constantly tossing and turning and looking at my alarm clock. And you know, this had went on for years. About every hour, I'd look at my alarm clock, and and then throughout the day, uh, I'd try to take a nap, and I'd wake myself up, you know snoring or not breathing or whatever you know in a chair and of course you know where I work and where I live is is a 40 mile 40 mile drive every day and you know there was more than once where I'd get about halfway and I'd pull into the gas station and sleep for about 10 or 15 minutes to make sure I made it the rest of the way home you just needed that little 10 minute nap and and I was coaching too so a lot of times that was my on my way to my practice you know uh, get that little 10 minute nap so I could finish the rest of the drive to the school. Yeah. So my sleep apnea was terrible. Um, I had edema in my, my lower legs. Um, I did have some different skin issues. and Anyway, so time to lose weight. Um, I decided to try the ketogenic diet. and. So was the wake up call more like I'm not seeing any return on gaining weight or were you like recognizing the sleep apnea and all those things is like this probably isn't good for me at this point it was the the return the benefit of the weight gain to the strength wasn't there that that was the that was the thing for me and the fact i was about turned 40 years old and it doesn't make any sense to you know get to 400 pounds that's the route (laughs) i was going yeah the weight was going up at this point then but the strength wasn't really paying off okay and so um, that was the that was kind of the thing. Now the sleep apnea is something that I'd been in denial about for many years because my wife, uh, you know, and I'll mention this part too. My wife, for probably a couple of years, she spent most of the night sleeping on the couch because of my snoring. Oh yeah. And um, the I would stop breathing, and you know, I mean, it was sleep apnea. And I was in denial, you know, my dad was always a heavy snorer. I snored a lot when I was 
since I was a teenager. Um, but snoring is also different than sleep apnea. But I, I had both. And, yeah. and at this point, it was sleep apnea, um, which possibly, you know, could have been a, a little bit of uh, heart failure, uh, you know, congestive heart failure going on there too for a while. I had, you know, my surgeon that we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, thought maybe as well yeah. um, that it might have been going on. So a lot of things going on, but the main thing was I want to lose the weight. And so I started with the ketogenic diet or what I thought I knew about it, which was mostly just cut out the carbs, cut out the drinks. And I was, I was addicted to the energy drinks yeah. at the time because um, my sleep apnea, you know, and there's so many of these energy drinks out there that are appealing. It's like, yeah, there was a couple of them that I really liked. And so, and, I, and one of my assistant coaches worked for Red Bull. Oh, so, wow. yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> I would access. do the, you know, I would do the sugar-free versions most of the time just because I didn't really, I wasn't, a, I've never been a big sugar eater, but anyway, um, so I was, I was hooked on the energy drinks and, but I started this first version of the ketogenic diet, which was, you know, I, I cut out all sugar and that stuff and bread and potatoes and pasta and rice, um, which was a good start for me because I remember this maybe five days. After five days of doing that, I had already lost some weight, maybe 10 pounds or five pounds, I yeah. don't know. But that was the first time I slept through the night and my alarm clock actually woke me up in the morning um, in I don't know how many years it had been. Yeah. You know, probably a decade. Um, so then, you know, a light kind of went on in my head that, hey, you know, there's more to this than just losing weight. Right. Uh, I slept through the night. I didn't get up to go to the bathroom. And so at that point, I was a fan of it. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now. Yeah. So uh, I continued on with that and started reading. I think I read the, the Paleo Solution and... Um, Eat Fat to Get Thin by Dr. Hyman. Hyman, yep. Um, I read those two books. A lot of good information in there. Um, and just kind of kept going on that. I got down to about 320 pounds, 315 pounds, and I just took my time with it. Um, and things were were going pretty good. Like I said, I stayed about 315 for a long time. So that was 2012. This went on for a couple of years. Um, 2014 in June, uh, my stepson was killed in a car accident, you know, driving home. Yeah. And that kind of derailed things. Uh, you know, obviously, <clears throat> we had a very big support group out there the the neighbors and everyone and uh people were bringing food every day and checking on us and uh which was good it was you know but the majority of it was casseroles with rice and carbs and yeah. everything was uh burritos and but you know we had other things to do we had i had a lot of stuff to do and uh right. just to kind of get through with my family and so 
you know, as far as the diet went, I kind of went off track for a couple months there. But I remember, you know, thinking, this ain't going to work. Like, I got to get, I've got to be at my best for my family and everything right now. So I got to get back on track. So I got back on track with the diet for the most part. Um, Still had the energy drinks in there. Um, But there was, this is, well, I didn't learn until the following year, but uh, the stress and the anxiety. I had, I've, I've never had anxiety in my life until that point. And that even uh, when I was having it, I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like I'd never, nothing ever really like uh, scared me or stressed me out or, um, but I can remember just, you know, if, if my family went somewhere in a car and I wasn't with them, you know, I was uh, stressed out the whole time yeah. until they were back home safe. Or if I was driving and they were with me, I was stressed out the whole time because I was just trying to make sure, you know, nothing happens to us. Um, And then, and I was also the head coach of the football team that year. Uh, That would have been our son's senior year. And uh, so, you know, everyone had thought that maybe I wouldn't coach that year just because of the situation. Yeah. Um, but I looked at it a different way as, you know, not only us as a family, but the community and his peers that he went to school with, you know, they need support as well. Yeah. And, you know, they need to continue to move on. And so I thought me being the head coach, if I can do it, they can do it. Right. Know the situation and I kind of felt like I needed to be there for them yeah. and do it so uh, I continued to coach and uh, you know we had a we had a well probably the best season they've had since was that year um, and and having the you know in a way it could look as a burden like I got enough stuff to do I got a business to take care of I got uh, my family to take care of and deal with this tragedy and right. um, you know I don't need this extra on top but it uh, it was therapy for me as well to be able to be out there every day with the kids and the team and yeah. you know we're all kind of going through this together and we can kind of forget about some of this stuff and right. um, you know do what we got to do and um, so it worked out um, and then I also coached uh, wrestling as well and so during this time, I was doing a version of the keto diet, but I was still drinking the energy drinks, um, more so out of habit, I think. Of course, the sugar-free ones, but I know better now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the time, just kind of learning and going through things and trying to figure it out. Uh, but the, you know, the, the stress and the anxiety continued on, and... Uh, I think January of 2015, um, I woke up at like 11 o'clock at night and I could just, I could feel my heart beating and I just couldn't go back to sleep. And so, you know, I got up and I sat in the living room for an hour or so. And if I'd have had aspirin in the house, I would have taken it because I would have thought I was having a heart attack. 
and you know, always been yeah. told, you know, I had Tylenol, but I didn't have any aspirin. So. Right. And there was a blizzard going on at the time. You know, we live out in the middle of nowhere, so with the blizzard, and I didn't want to wake the wife up, and I didn't want to call the ambulance out. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I remember thinking, if I make it through the night, uh, I'll let her know, and I'll <laughs> go to the doctor. Yeah, so I eventually fell asleep, and I woke up, and, uh, you know, told Tammy what had happened, and right. she wasn't happy, so <laughs> we, we went to the urgent care. And uh, when I got there, uh, you know, they did an EKG on me and did all that stuff and ran some tests and couldn't find anything. And so they told me that I probably had GERD, um, which is, you know, digestive issue, whatever, yeah. which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But so they prescribed me Zantac, I think, for a month. Yeah. And then... Within a month, I was going to see the family doctor for a regular checkup anyway. So, um, and they had said, you know, tell them and maybe they, you know, have them, you know, do a, an echo test on you or something and, you know, dig a little deeper. But so, you know, after the month of Zantac, I definitely had stomach problems. Like everything was messed up. I couldn't eat food. If you didn't before, you did ate now. my whole life. And so I started doing some research on it then. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So then I'm starting to learn and I'm reading, well, hey, you know, if you have a stomach problem, like say you have a acid reflux, it's because you have, you don't have enough acid in your stomach. And it explained to me, so, so it makes sense to me. Increase the acid, don't take an antacid. Right. So I'd already kind of made up my mind that this wasn't going to work for me. And then saw the family doctor, explained to him, kind of told him I was going through my diet getting it figured out, and he prescribed me a different antacid, which was a, a proton pump inhibitor, oh, yeah. which I'd already read plenty of bad things about those, so I was kind of familiar. And I thought, okay, um, I'll take those. So I took them for a few weeks, and things got even worse. And by then, I had finally been able to get in to see a gastroenterologist or whatever, because they were a couple months out. Yeah. So I stopped the proton pump inhibitor after three weeks. I'm like, this don't make any sense to me. And had my uh, appointment with the, you know, the, the other doctor, the gastroenterologist or whatever. Um, and, of course, he checked me out, went through some things, and said, well, I need to do a scope on you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what we'll do. Of course, that was a few months out. <laughs> and so I still just didn't. Things just didn't seem right. Like every once in a while, something didn't feel right. And so in June, and it was actually uh, June 30th, and it was the one-year anniversary of, of my son's death, um, got up as usual, went to the gym, and at that time I was starting off my workouts on the elliptical. And the guy that works for me was with me too. He was working out with me and stuff at the time. And got on the elliptical, and I felt a little off that morning. Like, I just kind of felt lightheaded and didn't feel right. And I got on the elliptical, and I checked my heart rate right away, and it was, said, you know, like 160. And I'm like, well, that ain't right. So I got off and got on the machine next to it and got on there, and, you know, it said 150-something. And I'd been feeling off for a while. Yeah. And so, you know, the guy that was with me said, man, 
you just need to go to the ER. Just go find out what's going on. So I drove myself to the hospital, and um, that's when I got diagnosed with uh, atrial fibrillation, AFib, yeah. which I didn't know what that was. You know, I was like, you know, are they going to start zapping me now? And <laughs> I don't know. You know, they were pretty calm about it, but I didn't know what that meant. I just knew it was something with my heart and right. something wasn't right, which is kind of what I'd been suspecting for a while. And I'm assuming what happened is that's probably what I had the first time I went in, but by morning time and got to the urgent care, I was no longer in AFib. And so, right. you know, they went the route that made the most sense, I guess. Um, so was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation and... The next day, I had an appointment with a cardiologist to go in and and uh, meet with them and uh, dig a little deeper on that. So uh, I remember, you know, the cardiologist when she came in and she said, "You have AFib," and she goes, first thing I'm going to tell you is it's not anything you did or didn't do; it just happens." Which was kind of good news, but later on, it didn't really make much sense. <laughs> to me. So, you know, had an appointment with her, went through that. She put me on a, a medication. I think it was Sotolol was what it was to kind of slow down my heart rate and keep it regular. Um, and scheduled an echocardiogram, a stress echo. And that took, I don't know, maybe it was a couple weeks out. And um, so I went in for the stress echo and for the most part, that was good, except they'd found an enlargement uh, of my aorta, my aortic root. Yeah. Um, so she was suspicious that it possibly could be an aneurysm. So the next step would, it was going to be to have a, a CT scan done to determine if that's what it was. And so another month goes by, and I had that. Um, and... Yes, they, it was an aneurysm of 4.8 centimeters, which um, I think I kind of missed the cutoff because they do like a height and weight type scale too to determine what size your aorta should be. Yeah. Um, I did barely miss that, but either way, I think a regular normal aorta for me would be like about 3.8 centimeters okay. or 38 millimeters. Um, so, anyway, and some mild regurgitation of my aortic valve that was on the echo. So then the next step was go see the surgeon. And uh, so I met with the surgeon probably in July and maybe August. And, you know, she, she had said because I was young, you know, she just recommended that I do the surgery and get it taken care of and, and put it behind me. And I'd asked her, because I was coaching at the time still, if I could wait until, you know, November. And, you know, she was comfortable with, you know, three months was not a big deal, you know, yeah. to be able to wait and um, finish coaching the football season. So uh, with that, I did a lot of research on... So with the aneurysm, then they put me on a blood pressure medication, which is their protocol as well. Uh -huh. So by now, so then I'm on an aspirin a day, uh, Sotolol, which is for the atrial fibrillation, and then um, 
lisinopril yep. was the blood pressure medication, a very low dose. Um, and prior to having the surgery, so I finished that football season. I had to do another CT scan with the surgeon to meet with her to schedule the surgery. Um, CT scan didn't reveal any change in my aneurysm. Um, but a requirement to have the surgery was to have an angiogram. So, you know, where they, they run the camera up through my arteries and yeah. just to check and see if there's any any blockages of the arteries so that while the surgeon's in there doing surgery, they can take care of them at the same time. That came back no problems. My arteries all looked good. And um, we scheduled the surgery for November either 12th, 12th or 15th of 2015 and um, so uh, you know the, the toughest part I think was the waiting period the three months just having knowing I'm gonna have to have a surgery a major surgery just kind of hanging over my head right um, and of course the you know the cardiologist was very much against weightlifting to begin with and uh, wanted me to be very careful and, you know, lift, you know, 20 pound weights. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, you know, three months ago, I was, you know, lifting four and 500 pounds several times a week, yeah. having an aneurysm and not knowing it, and it didn't blow apart. Right. So, you know, I just, after this all kind of came about and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to have surgery and this and that, uh, a little bit of a moment of, you know, kind of some weakness there of just, uh, you know, what the heck am I going to do? You know, I don't know what to do. Just kind of facing mortality for... Yeah, you know, and so I remember specifically, you know, in the morning, I'm looking in the mirror and brushing my teeth and I'm knowing what I want to do and I'm knowing what, you know, the cardiologist might say and I thought, you know what... I'm either going to make it to November for the surgery or I'm not. And I can either I can either be a boss or I can be a bitch. Right. And if I die, I'd rather be remembered as a boss and <laughs> I was doing what I wanted to do and not the bitch that was just like, oh, he kind of fell apart and gave up. And so I stayed on track with my goal was to just be able to go into surgery as healthy as I could be, um, meaning you know strong as well, but just all around as healthy as I could be, and so I did do that. That was my focus, um, and for the most part, I mean compared to what I am now, I'm probably not even close. But uh, I was I was pretty healthy going in, um, so I had my surgery, and. Uh, you know, uh, recovery went pretty good. I, uh, I just, I mean, it starts with walking. I mean, it's <laughs> walking is a chore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just takes that much out of you. So, uh, you know, in the hospital before I could leave, you know, they'd have me, they'd make me walk, you know, at least three or four times a day. And then, uh, so I was in the hospital five days. So I got home. And uh, I continued with that. Like I, um, 
you know, I'd get up, I would get up every morning. I'd get up first thing in the morning and just, you know, I'd brush my teeth. I'd go out and they'd set me up with a monitor deal where I could check my weight. I had to check my weight, my blood pressure, and it might have even had a pulse ox on it. I'm not sure. But there was like three things I had to do every day. And then uh-huh. I'd go into the computer, it would get sent to the hospital, and if there was anything off, they would call me. Like the nurse or someone would call me. Um, so that's what I did every morning. I got up early, brushed my teeth, I'd go do that, and then I'd go sit in the chair, you know, and until it was time to do my walking. Yeah. And I would, and it was winter time, of course, and bad weather, but I'd still, I'd bundle up and go outside and just, I'd walk around. And so what I tell people that have had the same kind of surgery or whatever is just, Start with what you can do and do it as long as you can and as often as you can. Right. And for the most part, that's going to be walking. And so that's what I did. I, I would walk, you know, at least three times a day for as long as I could until. And, um, and I, would even, I was even ready to start doing some jogging, but I was told not to do the jogging just because it might affect the, the sternum healing together. Because oh, I yeah, could yeah. feel the sternum. You know, it would click and move a little bit. And that was one of the things that paranoid me the most is like, because they kind of told me you got one shot for it to heal right. And if that doesn't happen, I don't know what, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's just going to be held together with wires and that, you know. So I was, I was really careful about trying to make sure that that healed correctly. Yeah. Um, So knowing what I know now, I could have probably pushed a little bit harder and faster. But... Yeah, I would do my walks, and I would try to do a little bit of jogging, and, of course, Tammy would see me out there jogging, and, you know, she would remind me I'm not supposed to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, I kind of went, you know, my plan, by then I knew enough about some of this stuff to my plan for recovery, getting home from the hospital was, you know, part of my protocol was going to be bone broth. Because um, I just I was kind of raised that way that bone broth is kind of the magic elixir for <laughs> all your illnesses. So uh, that was going to be part of my protocol was the bone broth and uh, trying you know get my bones healing back together. And uh, so I did do that. Uh, they had me on a low sodium like a sodium restricted diet, which uh-huh. was really tough to do. So most of my meals were a couple eggs and some cottage cheese and. Um, you know, my bone broth. And because everything that was on the low sodium side was stuff that I wasn't eating anymore and I didn't really care for. Right. You know, like rice and, uh, you know, bread and just wasn't, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. So I tried to stay as close as I could for the, it was only for three weeks. And then once I had my three week checkup, like you can just go ahead and go back to eating whatever. So gotcha. then I went right back to, um, eating healthy and but at that point my big challenge was how do I get myself off these medications because uh, you know I'm 42 years old at the time I'm too young to be spending the rest of my life on medications right. and I don't believe that AFib is just something that happens to you and we don't know why yeah even the cardiologist had said we need to have you know have a sleep study done sleep apnea can affect 
you know, can cause it. Uh, get your thyroid checked because, you know, thyroid can cause it. And if we can eliminate those, then we'll treat the AFib for AFib. If you have any of those other things, then we'll treat that and we'll kind of go away from the AFib. So um, I had had a sleep study done, and by then I didn't have really sleep apnea anymore. I was like on the very bottom of being diagnosed with sleep apnea, so I did end up with a CPAP. Yeah. So after my surgery, you know, when I was in the hospital, I did go into AFib, and they had, uh, you know, they had to cardiovert me, I guess is what they call it, or basically they zapped me with the... The pads. The pads, uh, like three times. Yikes. To try to get my heart back to normal. So, and it worked. But then later that night, I was in my bed, and I was kind of dozing off, and... I know the nurse came in and she kind of woke me up. She said, do you have sleep apnea? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I had a sleep study done, but I don't have the results. And she said, well, your oxygen is kind of going down and you're starting to go back in and out of AFib. She goes, so I'm going to put you on oxygen um, and we're going to send you home with oxygen. So... Good call on her part. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, because she was right about that. So um, I went home with oxygen and uh, slept with that for like six months because they had they still hadn't done the stuff with my sleep study to get me my own CPAP yet. Uh. So I was just sleeping with oxygen for six months, and I really I really enjoyed it because it was helping me to sleep good. Yeah. Um, and so when I did get the CPAP, I used it for about a year um and i really got used to doing it it kind of trained me to uh, breathe through my nose and not my mouth while sleeping so with that and i was really concerned about the afib i just i didn't want it and and it would come and go you know intermittently and uh, still could never quite figure out what the trigger was or or what so i started doing some of my own research and I came, it was a doctor, I think her name was is Sherry Rogers or Cheryl Rogers, but she's in her 70s. And she's, she had been, uh, she was an MD, and she had been practicing holistic medicine for, you know, the last 30 or 40 years. Oh, okay. And the reason her name came up is because I had plugged in AFib and, you know, maybe natural ways anyway. So I read one of her articles that was specific to AFib. That was, her protocol was um, a magnesium supplement and cod liver oil specifically. And she specifically called out uh, Natural Calm as the brand. Oh, yeah. And they sell it, now they sell it at, you know, I buy it at King Supers. Yeah. But anyway, so I picked up cod liver oil and I picked up some natural column. I found it at Vitamin Shop and uh, started taking that. And then I started researching and you know, kind of following some more of these doctors that yeah. have been doing some of this stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, so now this is starting to make sense to me. Like, I can fix this. Yeah. You know, uh, somehow I, I created this and caused it and I can fix it and it makes sense to me. Because when I saw the cardiologist the first time, I said, you know, I need to tell you this <laughs> so that you know. Yeah. That, you know, we lost a son a year ago. And 
it's not just a coincidence that the morning that I went into AFib was the one year anniversary of his accident. Right. You know, eh, you know, she's like, well, yeah, you know, stress can have something to do with it, but we're going to dig a little deeper and we're just going to find some other things. But then, and then kind of just dismiss that away. And, um, you know, it was never, never brought up as a factor again. Yeah. But, you know, I felt that I knew better. So, uh, just kept reading and, uh, you know, watching, uh, videos and seminars and um you know dr uh, john bergman yep. who is a chiropractor and you know i think he's a functional medicine doctor but i mean he does all that and he really uh i started listening to his videos and his seminars and he just i mean everything he was saying was making sense to me yeah and you know, and I'm thinking, so then I researched the guy a little bit. I'm like, is this guy, I mean, is this, yeah. this seems too good to be true. Yeah, like, yeah. Everything he says just makes sense to me. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know how many of his hour-long seminars I watched. And, and I was like, okay. So there was him and there's, you know, uh, Dr. Hyman. Yeah. I'd watched some of his videos and, you know, this, this, uh, Sherry Rogers, all these doctors, and I'm thinking, okay, so now I got to find me one of these doctors. Like, I got to find someone that I can go see that's going to, you know, that is on the same page. And I thought, well, you know, I'm probably going to have to go to Denver or something, but it is what it is. So, um, looked up, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'd sent out, there was another office in town I'm not, I don't remember the name but I had sent an email and uh, I got a reply back that she was overwhelmed with patients right now and wasn't taking any new patients and I was like well I'm glad that she answered me back that way because I'm looking at this other guy and I think this is the one I want to go to and this is Dr. Kirk's place oh that guy and uh, <laughs> that quack and I'm thinking this is the one I think I want to do, but I already sent a message over here. This one. And so, you know, she sent back with that, and I'm like, okay, well, that's good. And then um, I think I set up the appointment online, and yeah, within a few days, maybe it was a week, set it a week out or something, and came in here, and uh, I think we spent two and a half hours the first day together going over my story, and... Um, kind of told you what I had been doing and yeah. some of the stuff I'd learned. And uh, you, for the most part, I think you were on board with all of that and kind of gave me a couple different things to think about. And uh, uh, reading The Wheat Belly was one. And uh, that, was, that was a game changer for me right there too yeah. when I read that book. Um, because that kind of highlighted, you know, I knew that all of the things I was doing right, but there was still the little pieces that were not quite falling together, and they were pretty well outlined in the wheat belly with uh, the fact that I was still probably eating some wheat bread and and getting my 50 grams of carbs a day from wheat sources and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it just uh, got better from there. And so with us doing our thing, um, 
the supplement regimen and like I told you my goal was I want to be you know I want to be medication free and uh, AFib free right and so at that point I hadn't had any episodes of AFib but I was also on the medication still but I'd been doing you know the right diet I think and you know then we added in the supplements and mm, I don't know that it was a year it was only a few months it's either a year or a few months I don't remember but I was gonna have my annual checkup with the cardiologist right. so that was where I was gonna break the news to her that I want to come off the medications and yeah that, you know so we want yeah, I just want to clarify that I can't take you off them, but <laughs> you did it the appropriate way of going to yeah. the, the person that prescribed them. And yeah, so our plan was, you know, we was going to talk to her, give it, give it until what my my appointment was in February. Yeah, and you know, talk to her about it uh, with help, and uh, you know, if she was going to help me come off of those or not. Um, and yeah, the appointment went well. I mean, she was. I guess I could say she was receptive to it, but I think she thought that, in a way, I got the sense that she was just more or less humoring me. Uh, um, because I said, look, you know, I haven't had any AFib for a year. Um, you know, I've, I've lost more weight. I've changed my diet. And, of course, you know, the response, well, you know, diet doesn't have anything to do with it and this and that. And so we didn't really... <laughs> talk about that much but she said well you know let me look at some dates here and she looked at the dates and she said you know I think it's fair it's a fair assessment that if uh, you know if I was told that I needed to be on a on a medication for the rest of my life I would want to know for sure too if I have to so right because I think it's fair that we can go ahead and give it a try and so she gave me a pretty drastic uh, uh, it was I don't, well, kind of a wean down process, but it was immediately cut the dose in half and then uh, go for, I think, another month or so and then cut it in half again and then just completely go off of it. And so I just chose to do a, like, taper it off. You know? Yeah. And, and it eventually, it, it got me off, completely off, about a month before what her plan was anyway, but it was, you know, more gradual. Right. And so, you know, it's been successful ever since. Nice. So I've been off of the, uh, all the medications for, I'm guessing a couple of years now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, and, and I haven't had any atrial fibrillation and, uh, yeah, so I think uh, I still feel like I'm on the right path. And, and the CPAP ear. You know, I ditched the CPAP uh, well over a year ago. Yeah. I think after we after we met, the first time, I think we met originally in, Oct in October sometime. And uh, within a couple months, I, I ditched the CPAP um, because I was sleeping. I was sleeping good. Awesome. You know. Um, so that's that's been gone. Yeah, everything's gone. I'm a normal person, I guess. Again, except for the fact that I have, you know, an artificial heart valve. 
Right. <laughs> and some scars on your chest. Yeah. So other than that, yeah, I'm back to normal. I don't take any medications, um, and I haven't had, you know, I don't even take anything for pain. Um, uh, but I don't really have any pain. You yeah. Know, most of my life I would get, you know, headaches and migraine headaches and stuff. And so I was pretty familiar with popping the Tylenol. Right. Um, but that, you know, that's a thing of the past for me. And if there's a rare day where I might have a headache or something like that, or, you know, I, I always look to hydrating first, yeah. which has kind of always been my thing my whole life is, you know, just drink more water. Yeah. But, uh, I start with that and then, uh, you know, use some turmeric or something like that. And it actually really does work. Yeah. You know, as an anti-inflammatory, I think. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I guess I've come a long way. Um, and, you know, that's allowed me to be able to help help other people maybe get on the right track, uh, the people in my circle. Um, just because, I mean, I guess leading by example, they can see the changes in me. And well, I was going to ask, do you, not that you preach at them, but if someone's doing something stupid, like, do you say anything or do you wait for them to initiate? I wait for them to initiate anymore. Um, and, you know, maybe because before I would maybe throw a little something out there, like, hey, you know, you know, that doesn't make sense. Don't do this and that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really do that anymore because for the most part I have, you know, there's enough people that really do want to know the stuff that I can, I can focus my energy with them. Yeah. As opposed to the ones that, you know, might listen to what I have to say and then they don't believe it or right. they don't care. And so, um, uh, that's what I've learned is, like, if if somebody truly wants to know and they really, I'll spend as much time as they want or need. You know, I mean, they can call me whenever. And yeah. I'll give them as much advice. I got no problem with that. Um, but I won't force it on someone because it's really kind of a waste of time. Until right. it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's like, until that person has that aha moment of, you know, holy cow, that does make sense. Um, no, I just asked it because I always have people like, you got to help my so-and-so, my husband, my sister, my brother. I'm like, well, do they want the help? They're like, I don't think so. I'm like, well, then I'm never going to be able to help them until they, yeah. until they recognize there's an issue and they want the help. Then, yeah, like, don't feel bad for that person. Like, don't feel bad that they're not listening to you or don't, don't get frustrated or emotional about it because... They're just not in the right place yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's similar to, you know, like they, what they say with addicts and stuff. You know, is until until that person has decided that it's time. Yeah. Or something something has caused the light to go on. There's no, and, and I know that myself too. You know, I, I was a heavy drinker for a lot of my life. And, uh, you know, finally just one day the light went on and that was the end of it yeah i was done with it and uh you know uh, building up to it you mean you know that yeah there's there's a lot of this 
alcohol and stuff that's holding me back. I could be better if I didn't drink and this yeah. and that. But you're not quite, you know, eh, you know, later, whatever. So what was the light trigger? Was it, I don't know, you had kids being born? Was it uh, you want to be better at powerlifting? Was it like... Um, no, I think um, it was... It was a lot more extreme than that. It was uh, one afternoon. I had drank so much that um, the kids had thought something had happened to me. And they called Tammy. And so, um, like I had fallen down down out in the driveway or something. And uh, that was was it for me. It was like, yeah. That That was the wake up? Yeah. And I mean, and that, that, that was pretty extreme. Yeah. So uh, it was like, yeah, that's it. You know, I can't do it. And the, the kids deserve better than that. And right. They shouldn't have to feel that way. So, you know, and, and at that time, I didn't drink that often. But like I said, it was one of those where you know, once you start, and so uh, I just put it behind me. And that was. Well, it's, it's probably been over a decade now, so. Cool, awesome. Um, yeah, that was that was my moment on that. So, a little bit more extreme than than most people, but. Yeah, but I think a common theme when I'm kind of doing these things is that they find, or they not that they find, but they recognize the value their value their health brings to some other aspect in life. Yeah. And then, like, if I really want to excel in that or be a better version in that area of life, then I have to start doing better for me first type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the thing. A lot of people, you know, they'll ask, you know, well, they not so much anymore, but, I mean, they would, you know, like, what have you been doing and this and that, and you look great. And, you know, they know I've had the surgery and, and all of that. And so, uh, you know, I'll just kind of tell them. And then sometimes they're interested and, they want some guidance on how to get going themselves, and um, I usually tell them, tell them as much as I know. And then yeah. I always say, you know, you just you also need to find find a doctor like I found too, that can, you know, that really knows what they're doing yeah. and can, you know, work with you and, uh, you know, take care of what you need. And, um, you know, I bought. I've given out a few copies of the Wheat Belly. Oh yeah. Just because I think it's uh and I've borrowed my copy out <laughs> several times. Cuz I think it's a really good uh it just really kind of explains it you know, really it just makes sense, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you have a health problem or not, um it's a good book to read. Right. Um it really explains some of you know, the downfall in health in our country in the last few decades yeah, quite well. So, you know, I've, I've given out some copies and of course, you know, we've talked about my brother before, kind of went through this stuff with him and it was the same deal. You know, like I, I knew that he could stand to lose some weight. Um, but I didn't say anything to him. I waited, you know, and, and finally maybe after a year or, or whatever he's like ah, you know I gotta ask you what have you been doing what's going because I mean and prior to that there's been a couple things you know like I'd say like you know 
try getting a fish oil. Try a fish oil supplement and this and that. Right. And like, he said he noticed the effects right away, like, you know, on some of the stuff that was bothering him and, uh, you know, just his immune system and stuff. Yeah. yeah that helped. And then, like I said, it, it, a year or so went by and finally he's like, yeah, you know, what have you been doing? Because I saw a picture of you on Facebook or something. <laughs> and I thought, man, you look, you know, you look like you did back when you were in your 20s. Yeah. And so I just kind of went through it and, you know, thinking, well, I'll just kind of tell him and right. see what happens. And so he, uh, at that time, I think by then I'd kind of figured out with people that the easiest thing to do is just to start doing intermittent fasting. Yeah. Regardless of what your diet is or whatever, you know, try to cut the sugar out for sure and just start intermittent fasting, you know, and as you get used to being able to do the intermittent fasting and go from 12 hours to 15 hours, to 16 maybe, right? then start working on the diet yeah. and, uh, you know, cutting more of the crap out and, and, uh, and go from there and it seems like it makes it a pretty good transition for people uh, going that route as yeah. opposed to just all of it at once or, well, here's the diet you got to use. And uh, I think just uh, the intermittent fasting and, uh, you know, trying to be active, trying yeah. to figure some form of exercise that you're going to be able to stick with. Right. And do that. Yeah. You know, um, being consistent is, is the, I think the biggest deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've said this forever, and that's kind of why. Like when I started lifting weights again and stuff, I chose to, you know, do it in the morning because that's the least opportunity for someone to be able to distract me or interfere with my day is, you know, at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. Yep. So get it done, get it out of the way. That way, whatever comes up the rest of the day, I can deal with it. I don't have to worry about dealing with it and still getting to the gym. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Or... Or people, you know, they start off, they go get, you know, rather than just, if they haven't been doing anything, rather than starting off with, hey, I'm going to go on a 30-minute walk every day. I'm going to get up in the morning, do a 30-minute walk, or I'll do one, you know, a few times a day. Something that they can just easily do and get in the habit of that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, add to it as it becomes a routine. Like you're setting, you're setting aside this time for your exercise. Um, you know, they go and they buy a, a membership at a gym and it's got a swimming pool and it's got a hot tub and it's got all this other stuff too. So when they go, rather than just going and getting in and out within an hour, they're spending three or four hours there. Right. Well, nobody nowadays has that kind of time to invest in spending four hours a day at the gym. Yeah. Without it being an inconvenience to their lifestyle. And so they're not going to stick with it. Um, so, you know, you just have to find what you enjoy and what's going to fit into your life on a regular basis without completely disrupting your life. But you still have to have the discipline to make that time, though. Yeah, well. there's still got to be a sacrifice. You yeah. still have to say... It has to be a priority. Yes to something and no to something else. But making it sustainable, that's where yeah. the success comes in. And that's always, you know, that's always been the, the challenge, I think. Um, 
and you know, I've been I've told people that for many many years is just you just you have to make it it has to be as little of an impact on your life as possible uh, so that you'll stick with it right now other people you know me included that you really get like addicted to it kind of and you just your life is not complete without it right and you know if you have to miss a workout that wasn't planned um, it really just sets your day upside down and changes your whole attitude for the most part for the day at least for me anyway no I'm with you on that one and you know I try to I try to force myself to have a rest day and a recovery day and sometimes it happens and a lot of times it doesn't happen <laughs> because it's just like oh, you know should I, I don't know you know should I should I and finally it's just like right I'm just gonna go do it yeah because otherwise I'm gonna be sitting there thinking should I you know? <laughs> so but uh yeah very important to get that routine in cool did you ever have a I want to give up moment no no Never, but it doesn't mean that I didn't get frustrated and have to change the plan. Yeah. So never, never once in any of this did the thought of giving up ever occur to me. But um, I'm a very stubborn person too, though. Uh, but again. Um, it's not just me is you know I have a family to take care of and think about as well right so um, but uh, giving up is never an option but I do I do hit roadblocks and I do get frustrated right and uh, where that is the point where I guess a lot of people might quit like this just ain't gonna work yeah um, and I was at another one of those roadblocks not too long ago and then you put something on probably Facebook about with your experience that when people are to the point where they're just about to give up is when they're usually about to make a breakthrough yeah on their journey and that gave me enough to <laughs> to you know, write it out another week, and sure enough, that is what ended up being the case. Awesome. Um, so, like I said, uh, giving up's never been an option uh, for me, but uh, definitely I've had to reroute a few times and uh, kind of evaluate what I'm doing and change my workouts, which we've talked about that. Yeah. You know, change my workouts. Um, Tweak the diet a little bit, yep. uh, maybe do a little bit more fasting, a little less fasting. Yep. Um, drink more water, uh, you know. Yeah. Check my protein out. I mean, there's always, um, for me, and I, like I've said in the past, is when I'm not getting the results that I think I should be getting, I, I usually know in the back of my mind what the reasons are for it right um like yeah you know you're you've been going on the diet i mean and when i say i'm, I'm not sticking on the diet for me that just usually means i'm eating more than i probably should yeah because for the most part i have no problem sticking with the right foods and especially 
Yeah, so the quality is not the issue, it's just yeah. the quantity. You know, you just, um, you know, yeah, you, you fasted for 16 hours, but then, you know, your four hours or six hours of your eating window was like nonstop eating. Yeah. And so, you know, I usually know where I need to fix it up. And Well, I think that's like the seasonality of life too, like with other demands coming in or changes of things. We're not going to just be this static, yeah. whatever. The workout shouldn't be static. The nutrition shouldn't be static. Like, I don't know. There's got to be challenges because it's where challenges happen plus rest, then we equals the growth type of thing. And so a lot of times we have to induce challenges and then induce the rest to then come out the other end a little bit stronger, wiser, mm -hmm. those types of things. Yeah, and that's you know that's something I always try to do is is change my workouts up enough to, you know where they're they're always beneficial, you know because you can't go through the same. I mean, I could, I could do the same thing every day all the time, and for the most part I do, but, um, you know you know when you're no longer getting a benefit from it, you're just going through the motion, and, right? And at that point, it's like well you might as well stay at home. <laughs> And so, you know, even today, I did something that I don't typically do, but I was just like, I wasn't, I really didn't want to get up and even go to the gym today. And the only reason that I still did is because if I don't at least go through that, it messes my whole day up. And it yeah. messes, you know, like, uh, well, now what am I going to do? Am I going to hang around the house for an extra hour and a half this morning? And then right. the wife's going to want to know what's going on, this <laughs> and that, or you know, go in early to the office, but then that's yeah. going to mess up what everyone else is doing. So, you know, I'm like, I, I got to go to the gym. So I just went and thought, you know what, I'm not even going to lift weights. I'm just going to start off and I'm just going to do the, the rower. So I haven't been doing a lot of rowing and so I'm just going to do the rower and then I'll hit the sauna and I'll be out of there. Yeah. And, you know, I did, you know, 2000 meters on the rower and then, of course, by then, I'm thinking, okay, well, now I feel like working out. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I went and did something different. I did, you know, 35 pull-ups and did some hammer curls, and then I was out of there. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to – it's just going to be different. I'm going to cut it short, so then maybe tomorrow I'll be a little bit hungrier for it. And um, So, yeah, I mean, there's always – you just got to find the ways to get yourself there and – uh Sometimes you go through the motions. Yep. <laughs> but I think it's important because it's easy to fall off track. You know, the, that one day can turn into two days and three days. Right. Before you know it, it's a week. And then it's three weeks. <laughs> and so that's why I try to, because I've been there myself. And even as addicted and stuff as I get to it, um, after that certain period of time, like about three weeks, you kind of forget about it. Yeah. And then it's always harder to get back into yep. it. So I try to uh, force myself to keep that discipline. And um, yeah, I think it's important. That's good, mentally too. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of kind of rituals and routines, at least for me, like it takes the decision fatigue out of things so I know what's going on next and that takes the stress load mm -hmm. off my plate. Like, well, yeah, 
I'm getting up at this time. Like, I do this, and then I do that. And someone else, maybe they get the discipline or the rituals is too restrictive, but I think that gives me freedom the rest of the day of I've probably set myself up to fail early in the morning with a workout. So I've kind of got that anxious feeling of messing up over with. And so, yeah, now it's back on track for the rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, I like to, I just, I like to, I like the feeling of being up and kind of getting started before everybody else. I just, I like that feeling and I always have. I mean, you know, even when I wasn't working out, um, if I was just going straight to work, it was usually pretty early. I like to get at it early and I like to finish early. Yeah. Um, you know, I usually finish my day, work day by two o'clock. And, uh, and that's kind of, uh, I guess a habit I kind of train myself as well with coaching is, you know, I yeah. to get my work done so I can get to the school and right. start practices at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Um, and that habit just hasn't left me, but it forces me to get up, be productive, get everything done, yeah. rather than uh, stretching it out. <clears throat> and then uh, usually about 8.30, 8 o'clock, uh, I'm heading to bed. <laughs> Pretty, you know, kind of boring, but I mean, most people, the only other thing they're doing until 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock is sitting in front of the TV. Right. And so... You know, that's not very productive, so I'd rather, uh, you know, just go to bed so I can get up early and get after it and, you know, get the day done. Cool. All right. I think we're out about time for now, and yeah, (laughs) we'll do it again someday, and um, yeah, thanks for for coming on, and hopefully people find encouragement in your story, and I don't know, just especially with heart surgery, that's kind of a big thing that sets people back and, yeah, can can just blow out the ego and the confidence and uh, then be yes. a victim of it type of thing. It is the, uh, your attitude is, and I can give an example here of, um, you know, there was my case and I found out, you know, a few months after my surgery that, the same month when I was in the hospital, one of my friends that I was in the army with, he had had a heart attack and had had open heart surgery. And uh, on social media, he had seen, you know, found out about my deal and everything. And I kind of get, we got in touch with each other. And, uh, you know, where for me, I was kind of prepared for it and I had a plan. And I was just uh, determined to kind of get back after it and, you know, put it behind me. It it seemed like with him it had kind of beaten him down, yeah. beaten him down and broken him down. Uh, and he straight up had told me he just, he wasn't doing that well, you know, mentally and and stuff. And I suppose a heart attack as opposed to a planned surgery can be a little bit different. But, uh, you know, uh, I stuck to the path that I was on and, you know, within you know, seven months with him, you know, I checked in on him and of course they were, you know, diagnosed him with cancer. By oh then. man. And, and, uh, he was starting his chemotherapy within a week and I was kind of trying to get him to check out some other routes. And, yeah. Uh, but by then it was too late. And so, um, but 
uh, it appears as he's he's made it through that and you know doing all right but uh i'd rather do better than all right right and uh so that's just kind of a, an example that i know of where kind of your your mental attitude makes a big difference on the outcome and and uh what happens and you know for me uh I kind of went into it, and you know, like even the cardiologist and stuff kind of uh, smirked at it a little bit when I said, I look at it like, uh, you know, I'm just going to get a tooth pulled or something like yeah. that. You know, you guys do this stuff every day. It's not going to be a big deal, and uh, no problem. And, uh, you know, my idol Arnold Schwarzenegger went <laughs> through it. Uh, I'll be able to go through it. It's going to be fine. Nice. And that was my attitude, and, you know, I think, yeah, and like she said, your mental attitude is about has a lot to do with it. So, I think she thought maybe I was a little too nonchalant. With it, but that was what helped me. Yeah, is that I mean, I can get wrapped up in all the things that are going to go wrong and could go bad, and right. and how uh, terrible this is going to be, or I can just uh, not worry about it yeah. and just it's going to be no big deal, and it'll be right. You know, it's going to be a piece of cake. And yeah. for the most part, I think it was. Uh, biggest thing with like the, the pain meds, just getting off of those and getting my head back together because those really messed up my head for, seemed like a long time. Yeah. Like you're just out of it. You're just, so I kicked the pain meds as soon as I got home. Cool. And, uh, just relied on Tylenol for a few weeks and yeah. that was it. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, do I want to do it again? No, I don't. No. <laughs> but am I going to have to? Probably I'm going to have to. If the valve don't last, you know, however long, um, probably going to have to go through it again. But right. um, it wasn't that bad. It was, you know, I guess I can just add it to the list of things that I don't need to worry about anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I dealt with it, so I'll be able to deal with it again. Nice. So. Cool. Awesome. Any final words or anything, or uh, you, you, you <laughs> don't have to. My final words. Yeah. No, I figured that was a good place to uh, end. But. Just make sure there wasn't anything. Uh, I think. Uh, nope. I think that's good. Good. And then uh, when we do part two someday. All right. Sounds good. You'll have a PhD after your name. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Commission Client Podcast. If you found that hopeful, inspiring, or entertaining, we would love some iTunes love. And as all podcasters request, please subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast listening app. I'm Dr. Kurt Perkins, toasting you to a life of more health and less health care. <laughs>